0: Good evening, everybody. This is Shane Douglas-Keene. By the time you hear this, it will not actually be evening, Um, but it is now, and I'm stoned. Tonight, I have my partner in crime, uh, Rich Duncan, with me, and a very special guest host. Um, It is East Coast me, Steve Petty. Is that right, Patty or Petty? It's Patty, No, you got it right the first time. Okay, that's what I thought. and uh yeah, he's uh probably known him longer than just about anybody in this business except maybe Bob Pastorella. Um so yeah, we go back away. Um He is uh so fucking much like me that we both uh are gonna sit down and have a conversation with dad soon. <laughs>
1: but
0: uh Yep, so yeah, that's he's my brother, uh, Rich is my brother, the guy that's sitting here going, what the fuck did I just get myself roped into here is uh, Ronald Malfi, um, and we are very happy to have you here, sir, um, thank you for joining us tonight, um, can you give us a little bit of backstory for our listeners?
2: Well, thanks for having me out, uh, backstory, let's see, I'm a shepherd. Um, I uh, no, uh, I write uh, I write scary books. There, how's that for a bad
0: story? Fucking scary ass books. Yep. And uh, you know, I've been
2: uh, doing that for a while now, and um, and I and then that's uh, that's it. That's me in a nutshell. I play, I write scary books, and I play in a rock band.
0: That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it beer now or? It's Veer. Still, I don't know.
2: They've been in. We've been in kind of a weird hibernation during COVID. So, uh, but I we're just that. starting to come out. We're, we're coming out with the cicadas now. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> just yeah, just last longer than them and stick around for a few <laughs> more years.
2: <laughs> we do. We, we don't we don't do anything for 17 years and we come out and play a show and go back <laughs> <Right>. underground. <laughs>
3: <laughs> gets a lot oh, of for you. There you go <laughs> you, out, you make a lot of noise, you annoy the fuck out of me And then you leave That's right, right. <laughs> We also get in your hair, you gotta clean this out oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: You've done a lot of, I think I read Floating Staircase first um,
1: Okay
0: And some favorites, I think um, Bone White, obviously Snow mm-hmm. was a favorite um, December Park thriller, kind of a coming-of-age thriller. That's probably my absolute favorite, or night for Yeah. Me. But I can't help thinking that you have tortured me with more fucking snow than Frosty, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. It's something about, something about the winter and, and horror. It just uh, yeah, I don't know. It, you could be cerebral and say it harkens back to when people used to tell ghost stories at the wintertime by the fireplace, you know. Um, but I, Oh, just seems to go hand in hand.
0: Yeah, it's an oppressive, mm-hmm. oppressive uh, environment. Yeah, and it just yeah, I always sure. find most of the time if for a second a winter environment like that, I find mm-hmm. it more um, dreadful. I was not venting, I would just be in my usual smart ass So, I
4: I hate to just jump in, but um. I had to say, Thank um, you, you Ron. If you <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I just had to say, um, because, uh, Ron is like one of the first authors, um, back when I started, uh, the horror bookshelf. Before we did Ink Heist, um, he did a guest post on my blog, and uh, he was the first author to almost give me a heart attack because I got his guest post and the title of it was what's in a name or why the fbi is probably monitoring my emails and getting ready to serve subpoenas on the staff of the horror bookshelf (laughs) i remember that That was was a promo for little girls wasn't it Yeah, yeah yeah when it hit my inbox and i saw that part about the subpoenas i was like oh my god what
2: have I done? <laughs> yeah. That book title has caused me more grief. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I have yeah. I have a series of emails from my agent uh, where the subject line is "How far have you gotten with little girls?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, this is awkward. <laughs> yeah.
3: whenever, whenever it goes on sale, and I post it for uh, for the horror DNA uh, on Twitter plug. Um, I always say, do I do I say grab Malthy's little girls for a dollar ninety nine or? Is this out of-? <laughs> I want to. I'm contemplating
2: making a T-shirt with, with a couple of two of my book titles on it, and it's bone white little girls. And I wanna, <laughs> underneath it, I want to say, is this? These are book titles. This is not a recommendation. <laughs> That wasn't even planned. That just came out that
0: way. <laughs> oh my god! Let's see. Now I'm just not going to feel funny for the rest of this fucking show. It's just
3: <laughs> now, a lot of a lot of your books um, take place in the east. Uh, you know, in, in, locally to you, I'm not going to throw that out there, but I'm familiar, obviously. Um when you do something like like Bone White, uh, where you haven't been, how much research do you have to put in to, I guess make it real or whatever? And especially something like, I'm not gonna lie, when I um when I read Bone White, and there's a line in the very beginning where it says X amount of people go missing in Alaska every year, and I read that line, I was like, oh, this guy's fucking high when he wrote it. So naturally, I, I double checked you, and oh my god, that number's real! It's yeah, like yeah. it's something
2: insanely crazy. It is nuts. The, yeah. the 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 Alaska statistics in that book are all completely accurate. I researched them and spoke to people. The only the only thing that is inaccurate, and and I this was. So, you know, a bunch of readers brought this to my attention, is apparently Alaska does not have a Dunkin' Donuts, and I have somebody drinking a Dunkin' Donuts coffee in the book, so they called me out on that, but uh, as far as all the, uh, the, the other statistics, they're all legit, man. Yeah. People yeah. call
0: people out on the strangest shit. Fucking Dunkin' you know, Donuts in Alaska? What the fuck, Mel? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the coffee, its like ice coffee out
2: there. I don't know, but... <laughs> Nah, for I mean, you know, I yeah, most of my books. I live in Maryland. Most of my books take take place in Maryland because I know this place and I just know how to write the people and, and the locations. Bone White needed to be in Alaska, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I I had previously been out there. Uh, and spent two weeks in Anchorage and Fairbanks and and did the drive. In, it's like an eight hour drive between the two cities. So I kind of had a little bit of an understanding of it. But when I wrote the book, I called uh the uh alaska state trooper barracks and i basically said hey i'm a writer here's my name um what would you guys do if a murder took place 300 miles from where you guys are and they're like wait a minute ho- hold on uh, who is this <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really um i started the asking they're going trace this call Oh, it's crazy. And I and I I told you know you know I said hey uh, you know don't freak out. I'm a writer. Uh, you know, this is what I do. And uh, so I wound up using them and calling them up periodically throughout the writing of the book. Um, to, to you know, to ask them questions to get some to get you know facts down. And uh, you know, I guess uh, to, to their credit, they wanted to research me and make sure I wasn't a lunatic. So they 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 looked me up, <laughs> found that I was actually a writer. And uh, so as I kept calling them and asking them the questions, I, I would reach different people and be like, "Oh, oh, it's Ron again. Ron, we're all reading your books right now. We're, you know." So they they wound up going and getting getting my books as as homework to make sure I wasn't some lunatic murdering people out there. But they were they were instrumental in in the the uh, police procedural part of Bone White, calling them and, and getting their input.
0: That's usually not that difficult to do either. I mean, usually, like even like Portland Police Department has liaisons yeah. that do just that for people, you know, just give them backstory for research and stuff like that. So.
2: Yeah, it wasn't tough.
0: But yeah, it. But I mean, I can see how with, with a question like that as a lead-in,
2: <laughs>
0: that they, they might check on you just a little bit. As they
3: should. I would hope they would. I, yeah. I you know.
0: Me too.
2: It's like, I
3: mean, uh, I, I, got... to... I mean, what's going on in Alaska besides, you know, the 30 days of night when the vampires come to town? But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to knock them, but there's a lot of missing people they should be looking yeah. for. Me.
0: Right. <laughs> um, and that's a number that uh, I think it was Barron when he was on the show, also confirmed that uh, mm-hmm. there's a ridiculous amount of people that go missing there every single year.
2: I think I I don't remember the number I used in the book, but I remember dumbing it down because my editor just just like you guys were saying, my editor thought it was too unbelievable. I'm like, well, it, those are that it, it's true. She's like, no no no, we we got this sounds this sounds so <laughs> far fetched.
3: Like, all right, well there we go. <laughs> it's not like a liar. I, I did. Yeah. I, I, it just it is too unbelievable, and it makes it all the more fascinating. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was nuts myself did you find that number before the story or did the story lead to that number or you know what I mean is is no, the, story,
2: you... the story led to that number I, I was writing that scene and said ah oh, this uh character I, I think was it the I can't remember if it was the female detective or who, whoever says it uh, I, I said uh, you know this character needs to say something like this and I looked it up I'm like holy shit, that's a that's a bigger number than I even thought. I don't know if it works now or if it's just bizarre. And I even got the whole that that the idea of the 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 Alaskan Bermuda Triangle. That's I didn't make that up. That exists. That's a thing. Oh. yeah.
3: It's, there's a, there's a thing on Discovery Plus right now that I'm going to watch here this weekend about the Alaska Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Or the Alaska Triangle. It's it's crazy. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's nuts. <laughs> there it is. I last year. Uh, this was in 2016. So in 2015. Uh twenty three hundred people went missing. <laughs> Just oh, <man. laughs> uh, it says more. Than, according to uh something else, uh, more than sixteen thousand people have gone missing from Alaska's uh triangle. Yeah. Sixteen thousand I mean, people. If you told yeah. me if you told me sixteen thousand people lived
2: in Alaska, period, I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> <all go> missing. <laughs> yeah. It's like
0: uh, so the whole fucking state has gone a couple times now. That's
3: right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God, that's a great way to look at. It. I mean, that, that's like that's a, like a, a story in itself. Like um 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 uh, phantoms, phantoms. You, know, you could just do yeah. a whole. Where are all these fucking people going? <laughs> I got. Uh, yeah, I didn't
4: even. Oh, go ahead. No, oh, no, no. Go ahead, man. Because I am I, going. I I got a bunch of questions, so you go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say I had never even like I usually know all kinds of stuff about, you know, like weird phenomena or whatever. And I had never even heard of that deal at the Alaskan triangle. That is
3: Uh, it's insane. It's just, yeah, I don't, I just, I guess because it's so dense, you know what I mean? It's just pretty Mm -hmm. much it's forest up there and you got those knuckleheads that go hiking on weekends and suddenly think, well, I can do this here and then they can't, Um, but yeah. And it's dangerous up there. But the, the woods are different. <laughs> the woods are different. They, have, they, have animals that, they don't just have deer. Or yeah. caribou. <laughs> <up there. laughs> um, yep. I had a question. And I don't know if you can talk about it. Because I don't remember where I actually heard this story. I don't know if it was in an interview. But Shamrock Alley. The, the story behind Shamrock Alley. uh, Fascinated me. Because it was things that your dad. Was it your dad that uh worked with yeah. you on it? Yeah, it was my dad. Do you yeah. want to talk? Because I don't want to go further and say something out of line. No, no. Uh, so Shamrock Alley, story, yeah, yeah.
2: It's a little bit different than uh, my other my other kind of books and stuff. I wrote Shamrock Alley. I think the book came out in 2009, maybe. But I wrote it maybe like eight years earlier. Bottom line with Shamrock Alley is it is a crime drama based on a a true story, based on a case my dad worked when he was a Secret Service agent. Um, And uh, it's, uh, you know, um, we, we, we grew up in New York. Uh, in Brooklyn, New York, my dad worked in New York City uh, as a Secret Service agent back in the, the 70s and the 80s. And he went undercover and uh, infiltrated a, a gang called the Westies. Now, the Westies are pretty popular for people who are into that, like, looking up that kind of stuff. There's a movie uh, called State of Grace starring Sean Penn. It came out years ago. Uh, Sean Penn is my dad. That's that's the movie based oh. on my dad's um, Wow. So... <laughs> I, I wrote a book called Shamrock Alley with my, you know, basically with my dad uh, to kind of get that. I, I was just fascinated with the story and this was my dad going undercover for in the book. I think I, I do. And I, I fictionalized some of it just to make, cause I'm a, I'm a fiction writer. That's what I do. But in the book, I think I made it three months in reality. I think it was more closer to six months, but my dad went undercover uh, as a, 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 into this, into this gang, and uh, these guys, he went undercover initially for um, to, to flush out a counterfeit operation. Uh, as he was undercover, he was notified by the FBI and uh, NYPD that this group of guys was wanted for or, or suspected in about half of the unsolved homicides in Manhattan back then. So... They tasked my dad with buying guns, silencers, bulletproof vests, uh, it, it, you know, everything you can think of to to try to get these guys dirty. Um, they they hired my father to do a hit on on a bartender in Manhattan, you know, and they had to put this guy in witness relocation, and it got nuts. I mean, I I was, um, I think uh um, I, I was an in, I was a baby my you know, at the time and, uh, they found out my dad, they thought they never thought my dad was a, an agent. They thought he was a snitch, uh, working with the cops. And, uh, one night the secret service showed up, got my mom and me as a baby, you know, out of our, out of our house. And these guys showed up and shot the place up. They shot my crib up and everything. And, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a big fucking case. And, uh, yeah, my dad was like, no shit, you know? And, uh, yeah, you know, when I when I did the book tour for that book, my, my the you know you talk about the the thing I mentioned when I emailed you the thing for little girls. Well, this thing, the the the, the, <laughs> the the subject line for this was my dad could beat up your dad, <laughs> and <it> was, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> my my dad is a badass. Yeah, and and this this book it, it's currently out of print. You can find copies of it online, you know you know through eBay or wherever. And I'll, I'm, I'm probably going to bring it back at some point, but I mean, it was optioned for a film a few times through we, we were working with Paramount pictures and it was optioned twice, I think, through them, uh, to, to put it on the screen. And, you know, that, that's a whole rigmarole right there, but the story is fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I like the book, but I don't, it, the book itself, it doesn't even really give the story justice. The, the, the true story behind this thing is just amazing. And, and I find it funny that, um, you know, clearly I'm friends with a lot of horror writers, and they all know my horror books. And whenever you ask one of them what what their favorite book of mine is, they say Shamrock Alley. And and I think it's because it shows a different side of me as a writer. But I think there's it's also it's a fascinating story. And I have you know I have nothing to do with it. It's it's just it's just what really happened. It's, it's just a crazy fucking story. I mean, these guys were fucking. They were cutting off people's hands and 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 keeping them in in the freezer in, in ziploc bags and then planting their dead hand fingerprints at crime scenes to throw the cops. These guys were animals, and my dad was like in the mix for like six months with them. Yeah.
3: Wow. Okay. Two parts That's on that. Um, uh, uh, this uh, this is so much better than the original story I heard or, or interview whatever I got it. Um. Okay. So two questions now. I'm going to I'm gonna make this, I might make this story even more awesome than you just told it by <laughs> something that I thought you had said. There's stuff you had to, is it true that there's stuff you had to leave out because your dad was reading and it's like, you can't put that in there, you can't put that in there for like secrecy or clearance or anything? Or am I remembering that totally wrong?
2: Uh, I think you're remembering that totally wrong. Sorry. Okay, that's
1: fair. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not That's fair. Fair.
3: <laughs> Does your dad have to worry now? I'm going to blow the pie me being wrong real fast. Uh, does your dad have to worry now about blowback from them? Um, so I,
2: personally, me, I don't think he has to worry about that stuff. When this book came out, I actually went on. A, I was invited to the uh, book expo uh, in in Manhattan at, at the Javits Center. And that is right by, you know, the West side in Manhattan where all this stuff took place. Now, granted my dad, like I said, my dad was doing this shit in like the seventies, late seventies, early eighties. Um, I, this book came out in 2009. So, okay. I'm these so guys, a- you know, yeah, this is some time it passed. And my dad pulls me aside and goes, I've got a six shot revolver. I would like you to take with you on this book tour. because <laughs> These guys are still out there. And, uh, I won't, I won't confirm or deny what happened after that, but, but what I will say is, you know, he was, he was concerned and, and you know what? The the, the thing with these guys was, uh, and you could look them up online. These were re- the characters. I fictionalized their name in the names in the book, but these are real people. Uh, one of them was, was just a heinous uh, murderer. He was a mass murderer and they put him under real witness relocation. He's probably still out there bopping around mowing his lawn in, in Connecticut right now. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a fucking it, it's a crazy crazy story, and I have never seen um I've never seen a version of this story told that does the actual story justice. And I mentioned that Sean Penn movie State of Grace, good movie, does not even touch what really happened. And it doesn't like, even
0: touch what you've told us here. No, really. it's
2: it's, yeah. it's so it's so staggeringly unbelievable that. I, I can't ima- I, I can't believe they haven't picked this up for a movie. Just even with me not involved, just just somebody do this story. It's amazing.
3: It, yeah, oh, yeah,
2: it's it's,
0: it's crazy. Oh, yeah, and do it justice, by the sounds
3: yeah.
1: of. Oh yeah.
4: Yeah, that's up. um. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, that. I I had heard about Shamrock Alley and I've been meaning to read it forever, but I had no idea that like the story behind it was that mm. crazy.
2: Yeah, and and no, it was it was nuts. And and I wrote you know, um Shamrock Alley got published. So I initially wrote a draft of, of my book Floating Staircase and I sent it to the, the publisher who ultimately did Shamrock Alley and a bunch of my other books. Um, But they rejected Floating Staircase and basically said, you got a lot of good stuff here. Go back and rework it. So I took the book back and I started reworking it, but I didn't want to lose my contact with the editors over there. So I I said, look, I've got this other book, Shamrock Alley, that I just kind of wrote because we actually got the movie option before the book was published. So I had written it and that's how we got a movie option. So I said, "Look, this thing was optioned for a film uh, through Paramount, and uh, you know, I, I, I've got this. This is a placeholder until I get you until I edit Floating Staircase." So I gave them that, and they came back. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna publish this. This is great. Let's do I'm like, "Wow, that's this is sort of just to let you know that I'm actually working and not yeah. ready to publish it." But okay, <laughs>
0: cool. Let's let's do it. The funny thing about that story too is I've had people say yeah I was kind of disappointed when I found out that that one wasn't horror followed by, <laughs> followed by I haven't read it and it's like dude so how do you know it's not horror um, <laughs> it's not not you couldn't bill it as horror really but it's certainly fucking horrific you know <laughs> doesn't oh, yeah, yeah. it doesn't violate your aesthetic at all <laughs> oh oh yeah
3: well that that's, that leads to another question did you get blowback from your fans like dude? We, you can only write horror, and that's it. You're not allowed to write anything like this. I mean, uh, with an issue. Well, you know what? I, I really hadn't I, – I didn't have any fans
2: when that book came out. I mean, that book came <laughs> out – I mean, you know, th- to speak frankly, I mean, that book came out, um, and it was my – you know, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, fourth or fifth book. I, I was writing a lot of horror novels for the small press at the time. And, uh, that book came out in hardcover through a, through a offset, you know, you know, mass market publisher, the medallion press put it out and, um, it it just did what it did. It, 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 it did okay. and, And that's what the book did. It wasn't until like a year later that I signed with leisure books and they released snow and that's what garnered me an audience. So everybody, so really the, the, the timeline of my books, my audience came after Shamrock Alley was already in the public eye. So nobody went, nobody said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big Malfi horror fan. What are you releasing this book for? You know, there was, there was very few people reading my shit until, until uh, snow came out,
0: quite frankly. Um. Yeah, I can't say that I read your shit before snow either, so. <laughs> <laughs> Not no, mi- no, a lot of people have. <laughs> that's the miracle of Leisure, though. No, leisure, I it
2: was, man, Leisure was, let me tell you something, Leisure, if you're a horror writer, and, and you know, and I, I was the guy who, I didn't subscribe to the Leisure Book Club, but I went to the bookstore and bought all the fucking books, and I had all the paperbacks, and it was, it was the penultimate, you know, publisher for that kind of material and i kept writing stuff and sending them in and i became online buddies with don daria and i'd send him all this stuff you know and uh you know he 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 would always write me back and go well Ron, you're a very good writer but you know add this add some vampires to this story and i'll publish it but you're not giving me what leisure publishes you know and i said okay well i i get what you're what are you saying and you know and i i I had a uh a heart-to-heart with my wife one, t- one, one night, and I said, look, I said, I really want to get with this publisher. I, I've got a story idea that I think would work for them. I want to prove to myself that I could do this. So I'm going to write, and, and back back at that time, you, 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 would, you would write basically three, you, you would submit three chapters and a synopsis of your book to Don over at Leisure. So I said, look, I got this idea. I'm going to write the three chapters. I'm going to write the synopsis of where I think this story is going, and I'm going to send it to Don. And and actually, I, I sent, I went up sending that to, to him because he sent me an email at one point going, "Hey Ron, where's your annual book submission that you rejected?" You know? I'm like, "Oh, this motherfucker." Okay. So so I did. I, I wrote I wrote three chapters of snow. I wrote a synopsis, which probably doesn't stick to what the book actually became. And I sent it to Don, and and you know, some time later he, he writes back and he says, uh, "This he goes, I want to I want to read this. This sounds what I'm looking for. He goes, send me the whole book. Well, I, there was no whole book. I didn't write the book. <laughs> so I said, well, Don, I said, I'm I'm on vacation right now. Give me two weeks, and when I get back, I'll send you the book. And then I told my wife, I'm going to be living in my basement for two weeks. Uh, I need I need pots of coffee during the day and jugs of uh, doers scotch at night, and I'm going to write a book (laughs) in two weeks.
4: So I went down to my basement,
2: and I wrote Snow in two weeks, and I I sent it to Don, and he goes, yeah, man, and he signed me to a three-book deal uh, based off of that book.
0: Don, he lied to his fucking teeth, and he published (laughs) it. You know what?
2: It was just an exercise in proving to myself that I could write for whatever the Mm fuck venue I was going for, you know? Yeah.
4: Um, Yeah. I was going to ask you, Ron, like compared to like the stuff you had written before snow, like obviously it sounds like that was a lot more of a like compact timeline, but like what kind of lessons did you learn from, you know, writing snow in that kind of way compared to, you know, the process that you had had before that?
2: Well, not so much about the process, but I will say that look, writing snow in, I wrote snow in two weeks and, and it's, the, it's probably the last book I would recommend someone read of mine. It's not my favorite book, um, but it continues to be my best-selling book, and it's the fan favorite of a lot of my of, of people who read my stuff. So I you know I don't know if I I, I miss you know um it, it you know. I, I always try to, to do something different with each book and I try to outdo myself as a writer and, and challenge myself as a writer. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just like snow and they go back to that and they're like, ah, no, you know, I probably if I wrote snow part two or whatever the fuck I fucking called Sleet or I don't know. <laughs> I <It laughs> yeah. probably, throw, you know, get 20,000 copies of it. But I, I, I don't, I don't, uh you know, I don't know. It's Snow is not my personal favorite, but I know it's a fan favorite, and I appreciate it for the economy of that the storytelling that's involved in that mm-hmm. book. Because it really was a two week uh, a sprint to to write a novel that I, I lied about having already written.
0: <laughs> right. and, and at that point in time, concision becomes the rule of the day. No, <laughs> oh,
2: oh, absolutely.
0: Interesting. Way to look at that. Um, I, I admire authors who can do that. It's like <laughs> fucking Josh Mallerman wrote *Carpenter's Farm* in less than a month, 31 chapters, full-length novel. Boom. <laughs>
2: like, yeah, oh, I mean, you fuck. can you can do you know at the top of my game, I was doing 15 to, to 20 pages a day on a book. I can finish an, a full novel in a month, and my books are about 400 pages, so I can yeah. I can really push those. Those numbers. It's a little, it's a little different now that I'm older. I've got kids, and, and I'm, you know, I'd much rather watch a movie with my wife than write. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's that that comes into play. But yeah, I mean, there's a period there. You know, when I was with Medallion, and I was doing, uh, you know, books like like Floating Staircase and December Park and Cradle Lake and and you know, I did five books with them. These are these are books that are like 500 pages each, and I was. I was doing them every... I think I was turning them in every eight months with them. And I was just burning through them. I, I, I loved it. And then I was energetic for it. It's, it's a little different now that I'm older. But, you know, I, I guess that's what it is.
0: I love that those guys mm-hmm. were taking on those little bit uh, longer works than there was a period when it was really, really hard to push something longer than 300 words and get somebody to look at it. Even, like, now. You know, but, yeah,
2: um, well... There, there's a couple of different – like, so Leisure Books had a limit. So Leisure – like, these their mass market paperbacks were published in what, what – what, what I think they were called Signatures. Maybe I'm maybe – I'm, uh, I yes. think that's the term. It's basically every book had X amount of pages in it, and I think 320 pages was Leisure's max – Towards the end, you could find older leisure books that were much longer, but I think 320, that number's sticking in my head for for some reason, was was their max. And you had to fit that because that's where their biggest price point was, 320 pages for what they sold
0: a mass market paperback for. Yeah, I, think you're, um, I think you're accurate because that's where I pulled the 300 number from too.
2: And yeah, I mean. and it's it's right there. And if you you know if you ever open up a mass market paperback and lay it flat like a peacock tail on like a table and just have those pages fan out, you'll see that they're grouped in sections. Like all mm. those pages are in sections. Whatever number of of sections gives them that 320 was their golden number. So they were very conscious about that. Uh, Medallion Press, on the other hand uh basically let me run with it i mean my when i, w- I turned in december park 600 pages and and they didn't really cut a little bit but not not for um not for page count we cut we cut some extraneous stuff that just didn't make the story move um and i think the final copy of that book you know it's in it's over 500 pages and they were fine with it that was great where, where you run into this stuff is if you, if you go in the small press who still do like, you know, some of these small presses still do the publish on demand. Once you get into 300, 400 pages on a publish on demand book, you're talking about a $40 paperback trade, trade paperback book. It's, it's untenable. People don't buy them. So right. that's really where you get the restrictions on page count.
0: That, so i mm-hmm.
3: go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to ask like, like, you bang out these 400, 300, 400 pages that are terrific, but you also bang out these novellas Mm -hmm. that, like, uh, like Mr. Cables. I know that was an older, the the history behind that is is a little bit whatever. Um, But you have this knack. Oh, my God, I don't want to blow you. But anyway, (laughs) you have this knack of making something so not scary, <laughs> fucking terrifying. But like, when the, the maid in Mr. Mister Mr. Cables, he found out she was reading the book, that fucking terrified me, and all she's doing is reading a fucking book. And, <laughs> and I don't know, and I don't want to be the guy that goes, how do you get your ideas? Because that's not the question. The question is, do you intentionally do that, or is this something that just comes through you naturally where you just make the the and this happens a lot in your books. I'm not. You get this permeating, permeating sense of dread throughout your novels, and it it just it comes. I get the feeling that it comes naturally, but like Mister Cables had no right scaring the hell out of me like it did because it's it's really at its very base it shouldn't be that goddamn scary. Well,
0: that's my thought that's on that not one not too. Is that, why the fuck is this terrifying? <laughs> yeah, it <kind> of <laughs> helps a little bit because.
3: It's about a book, and yeah. there's no goddamn reason why I, I like. I still think about it, and I reviewed yeah. it a while it's back. So, yeah. how many edits do you go through on something like that? I mean, I don't, I don't well, understand. How, how you do know, you do me, it? I,
2: I I appreciate all that, but you guys are even missing the the most difficult part of of Mister Cable's as from from a writing standpoint is. You know, it, you're saying you read Mr. Cable's and it should not terrify you, but it terrified you. The yeah. co- the i the plot of Mr. Cable's is a guy who receives a book that terrifies people, but it's not terrifying. So I had to figure out how to do that magic trick and make that translate. And, and, I, and I wanted people who read Mr. Cable's. To walk away with the same impression of the of the main character of Mr. Cables, which is why did this scare me? There was nothing scary about it, but it frightened me, and that's yeah. really what I, I struggled. I, I tried to do, um, y- you know. And and I, I there was some reviewer, and I don't even think it was a uh, a a magazine or newspaper who who reviewed it. I, it might have even been a, a fucking Goodreads reviewer or something. But somebody said. Halfway through Mr. Cables, I realize I'm reading a book about a man reading a book about a man reading a book about a man reading a book. And, oh. it's, and it's scaring the shit out of me. And it's scaring the shit out of me. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, that's what it was. You know, um, the, the thing with Mr. Cables was I, I had the whole, the, the reveal of that novella in my head for a long time. I just didn't know the platform with which to take it. Um so I kind of, I I let it sit for a long time. And, and it was, you know, that was the, that was actually the last, um, dark fuse when they had those dark fuse novella collections and stuff. I did a bunch of those with them. I I love those books. They were great. Um, this was supposed to be the last one and he up and Shane uploaded it to their, their, uh, website for their, their, subscribers but they never actually printed the book so that's why some people say oh you know, this book this book this novella was released earlier and it was in a in a, in a different format i did actually the version that was published through journal zone is different than what dark fuse ever released I, I rewrote some stuff i i edited a bunch of stuff and i just tightened the whole story um the whole ending is different um so it is a it is a different story, but uh, yeah, it had a weird you know a weird road to to get to publication. Uh, but I love that story. It's, it's I I find it satisfying. It's very rare that I write something where when I finish it, I can walk away and go, that's exactly how I wanted it to sound. You know, that's exactly how I wanted it to read and and to look. Mister Cables is one of those those projects where i could walk away and go yeah that's exactly what i wanted to do with that and i you know i don't know how i did it i don't know how to how to redo it i don't know how to i I probably can't do it again but it's just one of those things
0: um yeah that was one that surprised me because i was sitting there terrified of reading about someone doing the same thing that i was fucking sitting there doing
2: yeah and that's (laughs) that's it just, I, I just mm-hmm. I chuckle at that. That's the beauty of that. It's, what the <laughs> hell? We're all in that state. Everybody reads it. They're like, what? what? What's going on here? I'm exactly. reading a book. It's Scare me, but it's not scary. But it's scaring the guy inside, so it's scaring me. Yeah, you know, it was tough. It was tough.
0: But that's where you—that's where you fucking nailed it. And where all the best authors do is you nail it in the character. Mm-hmm.
2: You know?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, it's yeah. the way he's responding that is scaring the fuck out of you, not what he's doing in actuality. I think yeah. Go ahead
4: Go ahead Shane, sorry
0: I was just going to say, I think all, all of the best books that's the, that's the most notable thing you can take away from it when you, you analyze it, is that the character did most of the work on you, you
4: know? but, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you because um, that's kind of how I felt like um, I haven't gotten a chance to read Mr. Cables yet, but the books that i have read of yours ron um i feel the same way as shane like the, the one of yours that impacted me the most was uh the night parade and kind of the relationship between the uh father and the daughter because um, i think when i finished that book it was like shortly before um me and my wife had our daughter and like there were so many scenes in that book you know, based off of that relationship, like I'm not gonna lie, I got misty-eyed a few times.
2: <laughs> no, that's good. I I appreciate that. I, you know, uh, I I think with any book, you've you've got, you know, if you're gonna spend a year writing a book or or a few months writing a book or whatever long it takes somebody, it, it's got to have a heart to it. You've got you've uh, got to you've got to earn the time spent with it. And I I think with you know, particularly with the Night Parade. Look, it's a reflection of where I was at the time. I, I was a fairly new father, and um, you know, you start thinking about different things. And 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 you know, yeah, the book isn't is a, it's not even a post-apocalyptic. It's it's an apocalyptic book. It's basically COVID, you know, before before we had COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, my whole thing was this is not going to be a story about good versus evil or like The Stand or. Um, uh, it's not going to be an action-packed kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max style thriller. This is a story about what a father believes his responsibility is. Is it to the daughter he, he has or is it to the world at large? You know, and, and mm-hmm. th- what what made me realize I have to write this book is when I first came up with the concept that, you know, and I went out with a couple of different friends on different nights and we had some drinks. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about writing this book. And it's about a dad who realizes, he, you know, there's this, there's this disease just wiping out the population. And he realizes his daughter is the cure who could save mankind. And he decides to not give her up. And to say, mankind be damned. My job is as a father, and I'm going to protect my kid at all costs. And I had friends of mine who said that guy is a piece of shit. He should he should do he should do good for for mankind. And then I had other friends who said, good on him. That's what you're supposed to do as a dad. And I realized because I got such disparate responses that this is a book that has to be written. It has to it has to pose that question for readers to go. This guy's an asshole, or no? This guy did the right thing, and that was my that was my thing with that book. I, uh, you know, it, it's it's a mm-hmm. it's a yeah, it's a global pandemic, mm-hmm. but it is such an intimate story of a father and a daughter uh, that it, it's that intimacy that prompt, prompted me really to write that book.
0: And as a father, I have to say, um, he wasn't a prick on either side of that equation. He was yeah. a human yeah. being who had to make a hard decision. You know? Yeah, I,
2: I agree. I think so
0: yeah everybody's going to respond differently but as a father I thought yeah fuck I feel really sorry for this guy you know yeah
2: (laughs) and and at the same time he's a character who feels like he's carrying the guilt of everyone who dies from this disease that he could he could stop and and ultimately that's what his daughter tells him you know and she's more she's more uh in touch with with that than he is by the end of the book but but it doesn't matter for him because that's not what he's, that's not his role. He's not supposed to be in touch with mankind. He's supposed to take care of her. And that's the point of that novel.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, a lot of people people say they, they wanted to know what happened to her after she, after she left him and, and continued on with her story. And I, I get why people say that, but the point, that's not the point of the novel. The point of the novel is his decision and, and what he feels is right. And it really doesn't matter what happens beyond that, you know.
0: No, it really doesn't. That is the whole. I mean, I felt like the story was complete at that point in time. Same. Um And it might not have. It might have even felt lacking if that little bit of ambiguity wasn't there in the end, you know. That she, because yeah. I mean, obviously her end was that she knew her purpose and she went to serve it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was really more about his story and the
2: completion right. of that. And, and really, it wasn't just that she knew her purpose; it was that he he ultimately had to trust in her knowledge of that purpose and, right, and right. give her up. Yeah.
0: And sorry, anybody listening, I will put it in the graphic that <laughs> I just spoiled the fuck out of that story.
2: Oh, I don't Spoil. <laughs> Too too much. I think you can still kind of dip into it. I'll tell you that's a when when COVID hit that, that was that was a tough book to read. You know for people mm-hmm. and um you know it, it's funny in, in that I wrote that book in 2016 and in you know we were talking about doing research for Bone White and calling calling the people in Alaska and everything. Well for that book I called. People uh, in the CDC, I called the WHO. I had a friend of mine who was an epidemiologist, and I asked all these people, I said, What are the death rate numbers of a disease that will basically grind polite society to a halt? Where okay. things still, <laughs> yeah, where, where things still function, but we're kind of on the verge of being at the end. Yeah, and, the, the ra- and the numbers they gave me were COVID numbers. Yeah. And then it, Wow. that's great,
3: obviously yeah we're seeing that now
2: yeah and 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 mm-hmm. when when co you know when the coronavirus was coming out i i, I was watching the news and i and i'm not a am not nor you know my wife always would freak out about the fucking bird flu and all this shit i'm like i don't worry about it. when i saw this stuff pop up i i called my wife i said listen i don't mean to be an alarmist but grab a bunch of fucking canned goods from the grocery store we're gonna be hunkering down for a year. <laughs> And sure as uh, shit, we were locked up. She's like, you're, you're out of your mind. I'm like, look, this, these are the numbers that the fucking CDC told me when I wrote this book. And not only did they tell me that, but they're like, oh, but this will never happen. I'm like, oh, Jesus right. Christ. You're well, here we are. Yeah, I, I feel comfortable yeah. now. Can grab some food and let's spend <laughs> the moment for a year. I'm what, new, I write books. I'm used to sitting at home. We can do this.
0: So. Yeah, <laughs> man, what they meant by that was, was uh, this will never happen while I'm still working here, so I don't have to take the blame.
3: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
2: Uh,
0: yeah.
3: I, have, uh, I have a buddy who works. He doesn't work for a three-letter uh, uh, business or a government agency, but close enough, and he called me around uh, December or so. And he said, and this is one of my friends. I've, I've known him all, uh, probably 30 years or whatever. Um, sometimes we go a year without talking, but we pick up. You know, he's that friend. Yeah. You pick up right where you left off. And he called me up out of the blue. I haven't talked to him in a year. And he goes, you're going to hear about this thing called COVID. It's the real deal. Stay away. Yeah. Try to start work from home now. And then yeah. the monthly, I said, okay. There was no argument because I know what he does for a living. And I know the things that he deals with. Even though I, well, I know uh, in a roundabout way because he doesn't tell me shit. But when he does tell me something like this, I was like, okay, I'll take you very seriously. And I knew it was, and like, like you said, uh, uh, Ron, like you said, this is it. The numbers are here. Yeah, take this seriously.
0: And that's He's something terrified. too that before I forget, um, when you were talking about. The people you called to research that—I'm trying to figure out what the fuck Roger Daltrey would know about it—and then it dawned <laughs> on me. <"Hey.">
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I probably—I would have rather have spoken to him. I
0: think. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, that was the yeah. other thing—is you just fucking called him, dude? Where did <laughs> yeah,
2: you get that? <laughs> <called him. laughs> These motherfuckers. Yeah, they give you whatever statistic. It's like they're—they're they're stuck in a lab somewhere. They're dying to talk to somebody. Not yeah.
1: Sure. <laughs> I, I had it. Listen,
2: I had an easier time getting information from the CDC and the WHO than I did tracking down Princeton University to get the the uh, quote in the beginning of the book. Uh, uh, the, um, oh, the the uh, the fucking author slipping my mind at the time. I had, I had to buy a quote to use it as an epitaph in the front of the book. Oh fuck!
3: Wait, <laughs> now, <sighs> when you said. Like, back to Mr. Cables, uh, something you had said during Mr. Cables, you said it was the only time you looked at it and was like, this is exactly how I wanted it. Yeah. Some of that, it it, it it drummed up something in my mind. You've written at least one screenplay uh, for uh, Territory, what well, was it Territory 2? <laughs> and, and, and I know there's a Netflix thing that may or may not be happening. Uh, I don't know if this has to be edited out because I don't know if that's uh, – I thought I saw that come through my email, but, but so w- writing a script or, or something for screen, um, how does, how is that for you when, when like you're done with it, you hand it off and then you see it, is it a completely different sensation of looking at your finished book? Now you're looking at a finished book. Movie or whatever, you know. I mean, and, and to add to that is the Netflix thing. Uh, are you involved in that, and are you worried about that, or do you even care because you got paid? <laughs> uh, a little <laughs> of, all
2: of that. So, so, uh, yeah. I wrote the territory. Uh, Kevin Kang is directed Territory Two. Uh, I'm friends with Kevin. Uh, he asked know. me to write a segment for it, and and I did. Um, I had previously written several feature length movies under a variety of names that, uh, have no relation to me at all. And you probably, you may, guys may have even seen some and didn't realize I wrote them, but, um, I, I used to do that for fun under, under different pen names. Uh, so Kang is actually how, how I got involved in that movie was he was, um, he was shooting territory one, I believe. And was reading *The Night Parade* during breaks in shooting, and one of his actors who knew me said, "Oh, I, I know that guy. He lives in the area here. You should." Talk. He's like, "Oh, you know? Okay." And he contacted me, and and we kind of hit it off from there. Um. So yeah, so so I wrote that segment for him, and and I wound up using my real name just because I thought it would help Kevin Kangas out. Yeah. No, yeah I'm joking. No, I, I went up. I, I I was I I. I you know, we, we, we did it under my real name, but prior to that, I had written a bunch of movies under by under various pen names.
0: Really? Um, Kang, Kangas was all over Twitter praising your name, though, so yeah, it really helped him.
2: Well, I oh, no, He's not driving a Ferrari, so I don't know how much you help him.
3: <laughs> that's from
0: me. I joke
3: with him because it was me who told him that you live in the area, and y'all are y'all y'all are pretty tight. And I keep saying, "You stole him from me. You stole." <laughs> oh, well, he so he says it was our
2: our mutual actor friend Matt Smith who played uh, oh. who played. Uh, oh, what's what's the fucking pumpkin? That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, that's smiling that's Jack, smiling Jack, that's that's Jack that's smiling Jack, Jack yeah. segment yeah so pointed out the book and knew him. huh but um yeah so 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 that's how that thing that thing came about and it's a look i love film i, I love being around indie directors and hanging on set and, and and kangas is like my every time i hang out with him, it's like I, I feel like i'm we could talk like 80s music and 80s movie i feel like i'm back in time man so like we just have such a good time um awesome. It, it, he's a, he's uh, you know he's he's such a, a prolific uh, indie film director. Uh, and in fact, he called me earlier today to you know he's got some movies coming out on I think. Uh, to be and some of these other streaming uh, cable network things, uh, they're, they're transferring all his films to that. Um, so you know, Territory, Territory Two, uh, Bounty, Garden of Eden, all, all you know, his Fear of Clowns movies, great stuff. I, I mean, it's just for people in the genre who love that stuff. He is he's the ultimate dude for for that kind of, those kind of films. Um, but yeah, so that that uh, was fun. It was I, I did it to because I you know, Kangas and I are, are buds and and we had a good time doing it. Um, yeah, you know, as far as the other the other stuff goes, yeah, I mean Bone White was picked up for a TV series, uh, for Netflix or not Netflix, I'm sorry, uh, for Amazon Prime, Amazon Studios, yeah, and uh, it was, uh, it's it, it's in it's in development with with for, for Amazon with uh, uh, Fox 21 and uh, Disney, so they're they're doing all that stuff. And then um, and actually I wound up selling uh, another TV show, uh, an original TV show to the same people who are doing that one. So, so did Disney and, and Fox that I'm currently working on now that I'm, that's not based on a book of mine, but I'm doing all, I'm, I'm the creator and I'm doing, I'm writing the scripts and, and in fact I have to get back to doing a, 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 a pitch thing after we're done with this call tonight. So, so I'll do that. And then, uh, and then uh, I'm probably spilling all the beans tonight, but I've had a couple of glasses of scotch. So, uh, and and then, <laughs> and uh, you know what? You guys can be the first to break this, but my, my upcoming novel, Come With Me, that's coming out in July, has been picked up by NBC, NBC Universal for a TV series. So
3: that's what they're... Oh, wow. Oh, hey, congrats, dude. Congrats. That's
2: awesome. Yeah, it's been fun.
3: Now, now, um and like I said, guys, tell me shut the fuck up if I'm running with it, because I, I will. Uh, the, the, with the you, from the way it sounds, they're already putting in Bone White. I'm assuming you sold the script and you're like, "Go ahead, see you later." I guess it's a nice, a nice um roundabout where you say, assuming you don't have script control over Bone White, but you got this other thing now. I have complete control on this, so I guess that's pretty nice. Uh, a nice payoff, a nice trade-off, I guess. Uh, Well, I mean,
2: I, I I don't, I'm not the right, I have no creative control over Bone White or with Come With Me as TV series. Uh, That is other writers who have approached me to develop the projects and other, and the studios that have bought it. Um, I basically, I I cash a check. To, to sound glib about it. I, I have no and no input. Um the other show that I'm doing right now, and I'm not gonna give you the title because I love the title so much and it's so sexy and I can't imagine it's probably how uh John Carpenter felt when he realized no one had ever used the title Halloween for a movie. That's how I feel about the title for this T V show. So I'm gonna hold it to the vest in case it implodes and never goes anywhere but that's that's christmas it's christmas yeah no uh so that show i'm actually writing this i'm writing it all and i'm i'm producing it and i'm i'm developing it with that with with the studio and and it's that's been a lot of work uh you know and they've, you know, I've been working with some awesome people on that. I'm working, I'm, I'm co-creating the show with it with a, an awesome guy who's got two TV shows on the air right now, and you know, um, so we're, we're, you know, moving forward with that. So we'll see what happens.
3: I am so yeah. glad I hit you with my car that day because things are
4: happening. <laughs> 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 and two, um, I think the the writer for Bone White, um. You know, it was. I remember seeing like you know the announcements and stuff, and I was pretty excited, even though the movie's not out. But the writer of that series, um, he's the writer of like that highly anticipated Antlers, right? Yes, he is. Uh, Henry Chazon, yeah.
2: So he he before COVID, he was supposed to have his first. Feature theatrical release uh, of the movie mm-hmm. *Antlers*, uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro, um, and that's—I think that was the—that uh, was the clout that got him in the door to 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 do *Bone White*. Then COVID hit, and they just shelved this movie. I don't know what they're planning to do with it. I'm dying to see it because it's it's so up my alley of, of stuff I love. And I read his—I um, read his—I read the pilot script that he wrote for *Bone White*, and it's just so good and. I'm like, man, I'm dying to see this guy's movie. So yeah, I I, I don't, you know, I don't know what's happening with his stuff um, with, with that movie, uh, but I, you know, it, it's it's a special place where you can write a book and you love the book and it goes out there and it finds its fan base and then you find somebody else who interprets it and writes uh, a, a screenplay or a script, you know, a pilot script based on it and you can read it and go, wow, not only did this guy get the story and understand the characters, but is taking it to a level that, I mean, there's stuff in the thing where I'm like, shit, I wish I would have done that. That's cool. That's great. You know, and I love seeing it come alive. And the same thing with, with uh, the guy working on bone white. I mean, the right, you know, the writer doing that just, just fantastic stuff where they, where they take what I've, I've kind of done as a blueprint in the novel and have just taken it to a, to a higher level. It's just great stuff. I'm so impressed with some of these writers. It's amazing. Dude, um, Yeah. Go ahead,
4: Stewie.
3: I, I just want to say I don't want to be because I know it's coming out and I'm glad you said something because we really in this uh, talk about come with me because that should be promoted yeah. because it's coming mm-hmm. out next month. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, I have it in my hand. I'm afraid to start it because I'm in two other books right now. And I know I start I read a paragraph. I'm like, no, no, no. I got to put this down because <laughs> this will just envelop me and I got other priorities and then I can get to this before it comes out. But tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Uh,
2: you know, I mean, look, uh, personally, I think Come, "Come with Me" is the best book I've written. I think if I, from here on out, if I ever recommend a novel to, to anybody, it, it's going to be this book. I, I'm so excited about it. It's got such, I, I feel such, such, a, such heart to it, and and it really delivers on. on Everything I've tr- I've attempted to do with books leading up to this, you know, the the horror elements, the thriller elements, the the atmosphere, the character, the 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 heart you know squeezing shit that goes on in a lot of my stuff, all, all that all that kind of you know pulling at the heartstrings thing. I think this book really is a my, my kind of my master's thesis of how how I've achieved that in all the previous books. This one kind of sums it up, I think. I'm, and I'm oh. so you know we talk about. There's very like you know there's very few things I've written where I could say man this came out exactly how I wanted it to be and we talked about that with Mr. Cables this book is one of them this book is one where I could go you know when I dreamt how this book should be this is so close to what was in my head and it's so hard to to do to put on the page and, and get that um, but this one. This one is so close to that and I'm and I'm very excited about it. Um, and it was also you know, I, I I wrote this book. It was it was written differently than than my last the last decade of novels. I mean, prior to this book I was under uh, contract with publishers for multi-book deals that that i had to had to write for and look you know when when you when you do that you have some some ideas that you've always wanted to write books like December park or floating staircase that just stew in your brain as a writer you want to get them out and and you you write them and and you're happy with them um then there's other things where it's like oh well, it's what's book three and book three turns out to just be book three sometimes, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's not the same, uh, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's I, any, any writer will, will tell you what that's like. You know, I mean, everybody's got those, those books that they're just like, okay, I got to fulfill this contract. And it's still, you know, I've got a million stories that kind of percolate in my head, but there's a reason they percolate and never really come out. So you got to kind of dig deep for some of those other ones with this book. I mean, I, I had just finished up a three book deal with Kensington, uh, and that was little girls, the night parade. And it ended with bone white and they came back for another, another offer for a contract for three books. And, uh, at the time my, my band was taken off and we were playing a lot of shows, write, writing music, working on an album. And I said, you know what? And, and the offer from Kensington wasn't great. And I said, you know what? Maybe I'll just take a year or two and just chill and work on the band and not write. And that's exactly what I did. And in that time, I had this story idea for "Come with Me," come, you know, come to me. And uh, I, you know, for the first time in a decade, I wrote a book that was not under contract that I could write just for the sheer enjoyment of writing it. Not just for the enjoyment. I mean, there's a personal nexus to this novel with a friend of mine uh, who who was uh, unfortunately was killed uh, that factors into the novel. Um, so this was sort of an exercise in and gr- in, in kind of grieving for me as well. So, so this whole, the whole process was just so cathartic and, and, you know, I didn't have to check in with an editor and tell, I, I just wrote the whole book, gave it to my agent and said, you know what, see what you can do with it. Let, let's, let's see where we can go. And right on. it was, um, it was such a great an experience.
0: And I'm sitting here reading the synopsis of it, which I've read before and thinking, I mean, it's crude of me to say, but I'm a crude fucker. Um, the the synopsis makes me want to come with you just about. Um, <laughs> this thing sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> so well, yeah, I, look th- look this thing up and then pre-order we'll just fucking.
2: <laughs> well, I I guess I appreciate that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> literally, literally a figure.
3: Of <laughs> uh, uh, is that something I look forward to doing more is just, especially with self-publishing. I'm not gonna say self-publishing is easy because you do need an editor. You do need a um, an agent. But does that take pressure off of you? Because I can't imagine a pressure, an author, or anybody really, but especially an artist and a creator, saying you have to do X amount of books and X amount of time. But here you are, like you banged this out with no pressure. Does that affect your writing? Do you find it affects your writing? Are you stronger with the pressure? Or do you just prefer not being or doing your thing?
2: Uh, you know what? I, look, I, I, I've never... I've never kind of, I've never gone to the self-publishing route. I don't know how to do that. I wouldn't know how to market myself. I feel like I'm better served by publishers who know how to do that shit. So, uh, so I don't know, I don't know that other side of it. What I do know is, with what I was writing, come with me for the first time in a decade without an actual book contract. I was just writing it because I, I wanted to write the book, and we would sell it once I finished it to whoever wanted it. Um, and I was lucky that we we sold it. Um, you know. It, it was a mix of emotions. It was one, I, I was, I felt so free to do whatever the hell I wanted to do. But also the the flip side of that is I'm not under, I'm not guaranteed to get paid. I'm not under any kind of contract to do this. Um, I, the best, you know, and I told this to, to friends of mine. I've told this to my agent. I said, you know, the best place to be in is when we sold come with me and they sold me to a two book, it actually turned into a three book deal with Titan. But initially what they sold me, it was a two book deal when they bought come with me. That's the, my best place is when I sell the first book of a two book deal. And they're like, Oh, you got a year to write the other one. I'm like, Oh, fuck. oh I have to think about that for eight months. And that, that, is, that is the best I ever feel in my career.
1: It's
2: the best I've ever felt. So, but, yeah. So once it gets closer to having to turn in that second fucking book, then you're like, ah. And they're like, well, what's what's the second one about? I'm like, ah, oh, it's roughly about this. And they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, let's do that. And then, then when you have to like put pen to paper, you're like, this is a what the this is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> this is <the> same.
0: <laughs> so you made a career out of lying essentially. Yo, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: You don't you don't sell three TV shows without knowing how to lie. Oh shit! And what happens in season five? I don't know. Whatever the fuck you, uh, uh, hurricane comes in, turns everybody into superheroes. That's cool. And also they're vampires.
0: Whatever you want. <laughs> In every way, in every, in, yeah, halfway through everyone dies, but they're all revenants in season six. So oh yeah, you're just <laughs>
3: you know what I don't know. It depends on how well the show does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you how much money we got. Right. Oh, if it God. if it does really well, I'll fucking write something for it. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I, you
2: know, my my wife she's like, don't ever fucking tell these people this. But like, I've done a this pat like not. I guess in two. 2020, I did a ton of pitches to sell these shows. I did maybe 40 studio pitches. I pitched to M. Night Shyamalan's company. I pitched to fucking Danny McBride. All these motherfucking places. And um, me, it, 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 and, and, and my my thing was, I, 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 I fucking, I hate TV shows. I don't watch TV shows. And I, I find them ridiculous. I'm like, look, <laughs> no, no show has a story that can run for eight seasons. There's oh, no man. way this shit's interesting enough to carry me through a 40-hour movie. No, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And my wife's like, don't go into those meetings and say this. <laughs> because I, I do have a tendency to you know, I have a couple of drinks and I pop on these little Zoom meetings and I'm talking to like the head of, of you know, 20th Century Fox or whatever the hell it was at the time and I'm like, yeah, you know, he's like, well, what TV shows have you been watching? I'm like, I don't watch TV shows, they're terrible. I said, I don't know, I don't know who's picking this material but it's shit. He's like, I, I picked up 30% of it.
1: I'm
2: like, well, your, your, your stuff's probably good, dude, but other stuff's not. Good. I didn't
4: mean your shows. Like, yeah, I didn't
2: mean your shows. So like, oh, did you like Stranger Things? I'm like, Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, Stranger Things is cool, but I mean let's take a step back and go, How many fucking times can these kids fight a monster? Like right. at, at some point this is something, whoa. whoa, whoa. Right now, what's yeah. happening here?
0: <laughs> you know? I don't know. Yeah. We're telling we're telling the same fucking story with different technology every season. Let's uh, start mm-hmm. over here. Oh,
2: well, yeah, and it's funny too because it's you know uh, you go back to our, our director buddy Kevin Kangas. You know when when Bone White got picked up, the producers of Bone White are the same people who are doing the Fargo TV series and the Handmaid's Tales mm-hmm. TV series. Oh, so. so he goes uh, and I hadn't seen either one, and he goes and Kangas is like, dude. Fargo's great. You gotta watch the. Sh- I'm like, I, I don't want to watch the TV show. TV shows bore me. It's, it's like, no, 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 no. So he, so he gives me these the Blu-rays to watch the TV show. And I, and I've already lied to all the producers. Oh, your shows are great. I'm, I'm on board. Let's do this. <laughs> and and then I'm watching the show. I, I got. And, and, it, and it's not that it's not good. It's just that when I sit down at 10 o'clock at night to watch a TV show with my wife, you've got me for about 20 minutes before I'm either. Trying to get her upstairs into the bedroom, falling asleep on her, or (laughs) drunk, not remembering what the hell I'm watching, and I got to rewatch the same episode five times. So yeah, I I don't know. I'm not. I'm not made for. I'm not. I am not a Nielsen family. Let me let me put it that way. I'm not the guy (laughs) checking the box saying this is what should be on TV.
0: (laughs) Right. I'm the same way because it always says no. Yeah. I uh, I'm not I'm not fond of serial TV at all. It just distracts me, and for the most part, you, you gotta be goddamn special to keep me interested in something like that. I
2: mean, I I haven't um, I'll, I'll admit to watching the first episode of The Walking Dead and never watching another single episode. I've never seen seen the show, but in my head, I'm I i do not even know how many seasons there were, but I'm like, how do you have eighteen or whatever the fuck it is seasons of The Walking Dead? How does that even exist? How does that exist? <laughs>
0: And don't forget that. the parallel fear of The Walking Dead. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, multiples you know. of these motherfuckers.
4: And I yeah, mean,
2: like I probably shouldn't thing. even be talking about this. I, I, I'm working with half of these fucking people.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> get in trouble.
2: In that hey, I'm, case, I'm hoping a lot of people don't listen to your podcast. <laughs> uh, trust me, none of those people are. Yeah,
4: to yeah to none fuck. of them. <laughs>
2: I did. I also pitched to Chris Hardwick, who does the Fear of the Walking Was it Fear of the Walking Dead? Is that what he does?
4: Uh, talking Dead. And talking dead. I don't you know, ask me how I remember that. <laughs> well,
2: I pitched a TV show and I
0: don't remember it. So there
2: <laughs> were
1: well,
0: some, though, like The Wire. Um, the Wire kept me all the way through. That motherfucker was a complete uh,
3: yeah.
0: well, Mhm. But to me, you know. But.
3: You ever come out here and we'll do a wire trip, man? But I'll make somebody else uh, drive. I've never,
2: I've never seen The Wire. I've never watched The Wire. I've never fucking, I've never seen The Sopranos. I've never seen Breaking Bad. I don't know uh, how I'm even doing this stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's People, kind of uh, yeah. I'm unpopular with those two sh- two shows you just named because they both bored me to fucking tears. After uh,
2: I, I don't know anything even about <laughs> them. I mean, there are, these guys are like, "Well, what, Ron? they're like, well, what was the last TV show you liked?" I'm like, "I don't know, Quantum Leap." Oh, is that a thing? You guys, that's still in the air.
0: And I'm all, I, I'm all. Gilligan's Island was pretty cool. That's right. <laughs> you're a Mary Anne or a Ginger fan? I don't, you know what? Throw it exactly. out there. Let's let's talk. Uh, sorry, I'm Mary Anne, dude. the is
2: Ginger chick you're talking about? I was a, I was a Mrs. No. Howell fan myself. Yeah. I, thought, I thought she was the most accessible.
4: Totally. Old. <laughs> well uh to try and save you ron uh since you said, <laughs> you shouldn't be saying this stuff no i
1: shouldn't um <laughs>
4: with, your, with your with your band veer um i know you've you've played with a bunch of uh, national acts that a lot of people knows um and you've played a ton of shows and i have to ask it doesn't have to be you know necessarily super crazy but what is like the best or craziest either show or memory you've had so far with the band
2: oh jeez, man you know i um, so this is, I'm 44 years old right now, okay, so playing in a rock band now is a little bit different than when I was in my 20s. In my 20s, I can give you a ton of bizarre fucked up stories from playing in a rock band. Now, it's it's really, uh, you know, we kind of all approach this stuff just like we do with any kind of endeavor at this age in our life, which is, hey, we have fun doing it, but it's kind of a business, mm-hmm. and, and we, you know, we, we've we got a certain, you know, we play a show, we got a certain number of people, we got a to promise to, to get the pay that, that the promoter's pay us to to show up and you know so that's a little bit different i will say that right before before the um man this was january of 2020 so right before like a month or two before lockdown you know from 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 coronavirus uh we played we headlined a a show in baltimore soundstage baltimore soundstage in our area is a pretty big venue we opened for i can't remember if it was fucking if it was trapped or puddle of mud one of those bands out, out there earlier in the year or the previous year. So we, we headlined our own show there. Uh, and we, we sold the place out. It was a ton of people. It was such a good time. We had people come in as far away from Detroit to, to come and see us play. Um, and it, it just kind of put in in perspective, Hey, you know, even, even the stuff that we just do f- for the love of doing it has a, a resonance with people, you know, out there. And that's kind of what that show kind of left with me. And, uh, you know, I, I remember right before, like, we are in the middle of our set, you know, we were saying, hey, we're you know, we're going to take some time off to record our second album and, and do this stuff and give us a couple, you know, our, our guitarist is like, yeah, we're going to give us a couple, give us like three months to, to come. I'm like, oh, give us a year and a half. It'll take us forever. And sure okay. as shit, it's been a year and a half since that last show. It's almost scarily prophetic. But, um, you know, it, it's been so long uh, that we just started uh rehearsing again like two weeks ago we just booked our first gig again uh this year for uh we're we're headlining a a music festival in september um and and just kind of getting back out there i mean it's you know it's it started off as a a love of music and to kind of get back into into stuff that we love to do my brother's the drummer my best friends are our guitar and bass uh we have a blast doing it and it just happened to take off where we're where we're, you know, I guess we have a big enough draw and we sound decent enough where they, they've hired us to, to open up for a bunch of national acts in our area. So that's kind of been our gig. So we either headline our own smaller shows or play uh, or open up for, for national acts at, at bigger, you know, venues in, in the D.C. Metro, you know, Virginia, Maryland area. That's
0: fucking deep, though, Ron. I mean, compared to, I mean, you've always been
4: um, mm.
0: popular, but. That's I mean as far as I know anyway every time I've ever heard of you at a con or anything like that where somebody heard you people fucking rave about you um, but to be there now that's just awesome you know, congratulations on that uh, hmm. level of success with, with the music
3: dude you're kind that. of knocking it out on all, on all levels you got you're knocking it out with the books the uh, Shows coming yeah. up and music too, man. When do you sleep? When do you sleep? Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean, it's, it's it's a rare night that even tonight I
2: got to skip out of family movie night to, to even do this this interview with you guys. They're watching some shitty. I don't know. I fall asleep during those Harry Potter movies. I think that's what they're watching. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> so I got I got a, a couple of kids and and you know that takes up my any free time that I have and and uh, you know I mean. But if you you know, I, I look at this stuff as like writing is my job. The band is like my version of playing golf, and and you know, that's yeah. <laughs> my hobby in my career. So,
0: which is fine with. I mean, for me, it's it's fortunate that I feel the same way because I never made any kind of career out of music. I just made a good drug habit have it out of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know what? What's funny is and I don't know how you feel about it but yourself, but you know, back in my early twenties, you know, at a college, I was in a rock band for like two years and I always played music, but we toured the East coast. We opened for some big acts. We, we, we were, we were recording, recorded by a record label. We were trying to, trying to make it as a rock band. And, um, back then that's all that mattered. Like, uh-huh. let's, let's get signed. You had to get signed to a label. Now, you know, in, in in middle age, and in the current climate where you can basically be your own industry online and not need it, record labels are essentially obsolete. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no need for that. We find there's such an enjoyment in just the creative and the performance process to not have to dick around with all the all the other nonsense that never appealed to me anyway. It, it's so freeing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't miss it. I don't miss it. When I was younger, I really dug the bar scene and, you know, gigging around um, Portland, even though it's a really fucking weird place to gig. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but, yeah, now I prefer to pick up my guitar and sit here in the corner quietly by myself with a well, yeah. glass of whiskey.
2: And that's, you know what, man, I, I totally feel you. I mean, my favorite part of, of part about being in a band is, is writing the music, Recording the music, and I love performing the music live. I hate the let's dick around in the club for eight hours before and after we play. I, you know, right. I'm not a schmoozer. I'm not a, you know, I'd rather go home and watch a movie. I'd rather disappear. And, I hated that
0: shit, or like practices where everybody's getting all fucked up and you play it for 45 minutes, and the rest of the day is just
2: yeah, you
0: know, I was like no. uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> No, which is probably
2: 99% of the bands out there. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Exactly. It's it's party with music. Yeah. You just happen to be the
4: entertainment.
2: <laughs> now we're we're we, we tend to be fairly strict with ourselves about yeah. you know writing songs and especially it's it's been a weird scenario where we hadn't even practiced or or even been together in a room for like about a year during this this mm. COVID shit where I sat in my basement and uh, just wrote like probably what amounts to about three albums worth of material not all of it good but um you know so when we finally got together to practice i'm like here and i and and i was sending them recordings and stuff uh, uh, of you know rough rough demos of the songs but i'm like let's let's start working through this stuff and it's such a joy for me to i love that sort of here's what it was in my head here's how i hear it let's get you other three guys involved and let's hear what it progresses to i love that process
0: I do, too. Um, I was never much in the development of the music itself, but the lyrics were always yeah. usually my job, and I thrived on that. That was the, my favorite part of the whole thing.
2: Well, that's the thing. I mean, you write, you write books, and it's extremely solitary. You sit in a room by yourself, and you write a story. With the band, I, I write the majority of the music, uh, I write the majority of the songs, but... It's I love the collaboration that's involved once I present it to the other guys and to see how it, how those songs change and, and to, to to watch what they do and go Wow I never thought of that that that's great Let's do that You know
0: What they what they bring to their part is always fascinating Especially yeah. when when you start trying to trying to um, play it together and feel it out People throw in their little nuances and exactly signatures and Yeah Yeah That has always been a uh, one of my favorite things to do but don't do it so much anymore. Mostly I just turn my amp up loud enough to drown out my neighbor's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I will say I thought it was a, a really good promo. Um, I don't know whose idea it was, but I'm going to give a shout out to um, um, Ashley and, uh, and Sadie for Nightworms. Yeah. When I got the Nightworms package in, it was your book, which was really cool. I already had it, though. So. And uh, I, I get that a lot when on those Nightworms packages, so I just give them away on our DNA plug. And, um, but the the CD that was in it, too, was just like, oh, this is really a very cool kind of business move, kind of promo move, Yeah. Uh, because it goes both ways. I think people that are going to listen to V say, saying, oh, this guy writes books, too. Well, I like his lyrics. Let me check them out. Okay. And the people that read your books are going to listen to your music as well. I mean, you're kind of getting it from both. Uh, sides there, which is probably pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's neat. You know, I mean, it, it, the 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 audience doesn't bleed over as much as you might think. Like, it still seems to be kind of separate. Uh, but huh. no, I I I love I love uh, you know nightworms and, and what they're doing over there. And um, you know, when when they when they did the uh, the to do that addition of snow, I said, you know, they say, well, what else can you throw in here? I'm like, well, I, I got this this is re- this album. I don't, you know. And so I think they, I forgot how many it was. It was like 350 or 400 al- you know albums that we had to send them. And like the day I mailed all of them and they were all, I think they were, I think the band even signed them all. I don't remember. But the, but when we, we mailed them all out, she writes back and she goes, Hey, I don't know how many people actually have CD players. Can you just send us like a download card? I'm like, uh, Sadie." I, I just <laughs> postmarked that shit like yesterday. <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't think about that. So you could consider it a collector's item. I yeah, I didn't, I didn't think, think about you. that. That's interesting. It is because I
0: don't I don't have any CDs anymore. I yeah.
2: have I have only CDs except for my record collection, yeah. which
0: I also have. Yeah, I'm but, not a
2: tech guy. Yeah,
0: I vinyl. I am still a big fan of vinyl over. Oh
3: here. yeah, absolutely. I have fun, Steve,
0: because I'm your number one fan. <laughs> uh, it, you know what's funny, Cause I, I told Rich that on Discord. Yep, Stewie yeah. is Malfi's number one fan. <laughs> 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 Steve, I'm sorry. Steve, <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, just for clarity, my nickname is Stewie. That's what all my friends know me as. But I have a professional name where I try to act like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I <I'm,
1: laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah, so yes, yeah, Dewey is a prick on the East coast and I'm the one on the west coast. <laughs> for a good measurement, everybody hates us but we love each other.
3: Gotta <laughs> <laughs> <I> love family. <laughs> mm. so, um, go ahead, Stu. No man I'm, I'm monopolizing. I was just gonna ask what 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 is your focus now? Your book is coming out. Your shows are coming out. You're getting your band g- coming out again. Like you have so much going on. Are you just going to kind of put it on cruise control for a minute or do you have other ideas popping out or what's up?
2: Yeah, well, there's, there's no cruise control right now. So I'm doing I'm doing a bunch of promo for come with me to, to for when that book comes out. Um I got as far as doing some work, I mean, I've got, I've got the follow-up novel that for Titan books that I got to work on. Um, I've I've got a, uh, I've got this TV show thing that we're, we're still cobbling together and and trying to get a network interested in. So I'm, I'll, I'll I'll be working on that tonight. And, uh, (laughs) You know, when I'm when I'm uh, disgusted by all the writing that I do, then I I switch tracks over to to Veer and we play some music and we got we got band practice Monday night, Stewie. You should pop over have a beer. Right all, right. <laughs> all right.
0: I'm moving in with you, Stewie, so I can go.
3: There you go. Oh,
0: uh, I know. Uh, yep. That, that's that,
3: That's uh. <laughs> uh no, I, I I'm thinking I'm over there now. I'm in the driveway now. I should just go ahead and go right? on in.
0: Quit looking in the window and just throw the fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah. in. Hold <laughs> right on. Uh, well, you guys, um, that was my windup uh, that Stewie just did. So that's it. Yeah. Me some- yeah. Uh, yeah Stewie I, timed I that formality. perfectly. Yeah. I hate the formalities of saying, "All right, fuck off." Now I have to leave. So. Um, <laughs> I never really say it that way, so don't take that personally
3: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: we, we listen to it on the podcast, like, no, we know what you're saying from real, real. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have uh, zero filters, so, you know, some people love me for that, but not many. <laughs> but uh anyway a roundabout way of saying um yeah anything else you want to cover or you want to make absolutely sure we don't miss um now is the time for that so i can make my wife dinner and survive another
2: night <laughs> not nah, just uh, i appreciate you guys having me on uh you know all your listeners keep an eye out for come with me that that comes out in july uh and you can pre-order the book now wherever wherever you pre-order your books and uh you know, be merry. I don't know. Yeah. yeah,
0: and you can, uh, you're welcome to use that quote for "Come with me anytime, anywhere." <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure it'll sell books for you. So. No, I've, I've been,
2: I, I've been crocheting it uh, as we've been talking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Make a nice throw rug. But seriously, everybody, pay attention to this guy. He's a multi-talented, um, mm-hmm. and not well, when I say that, I don't. There's no hype there. I don't mean that facetiously in any way. Um, He is truly, truly greatly talented in all of his creative endeavors that I know of. Um, And pay attention to him. Pre-order his book. If you haven't read his back catalog, go unfuck that as soon as possible. Um, And like I say, pay attention to the guy. Follow him. uh, Buy all his shit. Make him happy. He'll give me money.
4: <laughs> <Well said. laughs>
0: perfect uh stewie um Rich, either what do you have anything else before we wrap
4: uh, no just um it's great having you on Ron. um big fan of your books and you know this is probably one of my favorite episodes um it was really cool to hear um about your new book and all the exciting projects you have, because I was actually going to ask you about Bone White, because I've been dying to see that ever since. I think you announced it, like, uh, last year or two years ago, maybe? Oh, but, and uh, you're and
0: badass you're, fucking dad, man. That was a great story. Thank yeah. You that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah well, I appreciate it, guys. This is fun. This is a good time.
0: It was a blast. Um, we'll do it again soon. Stewie was sitting there talking about all the things that you got going and things that are am um, looking up, and I was sitting there thinking, fuck, I need to have this guy on my podcast. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> so, yeah, you're, wel- you're welcome back anytime.
2: Well, I appreciate it. Thank
3: you.
0: All right, man. Um, I love you guys, Dewey. Thank you yep. very much for being here, man. You are welcome any fucking time.
3: Thank Absolutely. you for having even though I got I, yeah, it, it, definitely, I, I love every minute of this. Uh, I'm going to plug 4DNA again, 4DNA.com, hit us up on Twitter and stuff. Because I would be remiss if I didn't, it because I really am bad at promoting my own shit on my personal account.
0: And, so the, I mean, really, do go check it out. I write for them, so
3: there's a reason. <laughs> <go out> there. <laughs> fuck, fuck Stewie. I write for them, so that's why you check it out. <laughs> and I, I, I just want to clarify something um just for my own benefit Malfi's work every time he put a book out for like 3 years running it hit my best of that year yep but that was kind of that was before I met him in real life um so I don't want people to think <laughs> oh, you know you given that the shit is legit i mean yeah uh, but- yeah it's 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 absolutely legit uh i'm obviously a fan um i'm a friend but all the reviews I did were before I even met him. So, but now that I know him, if I could go back and change those, I probably would. But you know, they're <laughs> uh, yeah. now that I feel comfortable
0: while doing it, fuck this guy. I'm going to go back
2: <laughs> to <No. laughs> no that's why I don't, you don't get invited to
3: beer night with Kangas. No, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they have beer night like, literally less than a mile away from my house, and I never <laughs> get a fucking coffee. Never. Oh, fuck you,
0: yeah. Dude.
3: And he's comfortable <laughs> telling everybody that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes me.
3: I just I just go All home right, and get a sleep. But I definitely appreciate y'all having me on. I, I really, yeah, this is had a blast and very much appreciate
0: it. it has been a blast for me too. I appreciate you guys, and I hope you have an excellent fucking weekend.
4: You too. See you guys. Thank you.
3: I'll see you Monday, healthy
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Good night, you guys. Bye.
0: <laughs> Is somebody gonna hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>